0: Warning. This episode contains violence, racist language, and scenes that some listeners may find distressing. So here we are, the last episode of the series. And I've been thinking about the questions that prompted me to start this show in the first place. That initial question I had more than 10 years ago when I moved to Long Island for university was where are all the Black police officers? But as this series got underway, and I started hearing from Black officers, the question started to evolve and mutate. Why would a Black person choose to be a cop? Does the fact that you're a cop trump the fact that you're Black? If you could start over and do it all again, would you? When I put these questions to the officers in the series, one man, one answer stood out from the rest. Remember Michael Sapp from episode seven? Former officer at Transit and East Windsor Police Department. He stood up to his boss at Transit, and years later, took on his old department at East Windsor. —
1: Knowing what I know now, um, and having gone through what I went through, I would have pursued a different career. Too much stress, too much nonsense, more than what it was worth.
0: And it was what he said about being a cop that really stood out.
1: The unique thing about policing is this what occurs as far as discrimination, racism, that's going to occur in every workplace, every entity, you know. There's no one immune to that, there just isn't. What's unique about policing is you have authority attached to it along with a firearm. And in the wrong hands, as we've seen many times, the results are horrific. It's
0: like when one of our other officers, Larry Washington, said that a police officer has more power than the President of the United States. And that's what makes policing so special, so problematic. You take a regular person, and you give them the power to take a life. For some people, that must be a real high. And that's the problem right there. If you love guns, power, or violence, this is a very attractive path. So here's the question Whether you're black, whether you're white, does it even matter? From Curious Cast and Blanchard House, I'm Saren Jones, and this is Black and Blue Behind the Badge. Episode eight, Bad Apples. Let's go back to Maplewood. Across this podcast, we've used Maplewood as a kind of microcosm of towns and cities across America as a microcosm of the state of policing over the past three decades. Now look, I know it's tricky taking one place and generalizing from it. I hold my hands up, it's true, but we have to start somewhere. And having spent all this time in Maplewood, studying the suburb, getting to know its people, turns out the story of this police department has an ending, an ending I did not see coming. But we're not there yet. Bear with me. We left Maplewood in 2016, and quite frankly, things were a total mess. Remember the whole 5th of July episode, when Black kids were marched out of town by police to another neighborhood where they didn't even live? Four young Black teens were beaten up by Maplewood police officers. The police chief was placed on suspended leave. It was bad. But eventually, Maplewood PD moved on. In fact, there was one man who did more than anyone else in the police department to turn the tide after that dark night. Jimmy Duvall. He took over just after that incident. Now, even Robert Tarver, he was the lawyer for one of the kids who was beaten up and doesn't have a lot of good things to say about the police. Even he thinks Jimmy was a good thing.
2: I can tell you this, because of what Jimmy DeVal did, because he put a different tone into effect, it instantly raised the uh, profile of the police in terms of being positive in the Black community, because he sat down with Black community leaders. He actually had conversations with individuals when they had problems, and he made sure that his officers were involved in community policing.
0: Actually, Jimmy has already been part of this series, You just don't know it. Remember Mike Morrison saying this in Episode 6?
3: Like a spy in the middle of the night, in the darkness, I went to the police department and I saw the tape.
0: He's talking about the tape of the beatings. Now, the reason Mike Morrison went to the station in the first place that night was because of a white officer, Jimmy Duvall. He was a lieutenant at Maplewood PD at the time, and he realized the gravity of the situation how the department had messed up so badly. Jimmy Duvall had been colleagues with Mike and Larry at Maplewood PD. Larry remembers how he started out.
4: I met Jimmy Duvall February 1990, Maplewood Police Department. Uh, we were both dispatchers. He had been hired prior to me as a dispatcher. You can see he was a guy who was just very focused and determined to, to, as he would often say, one day, I'm going to run this police department as chief.
0: Larry and Jimmy were tight. They went from being colleagues to being partners to being friends.
4: We did get to know each other. I actually invited him to my wedding. he had actually invited me to his first wedding. So, I mean, this is how close we had gotten. And their friendship grew over time. One day before work, he calls me. It's like, Larry, I got something for you. I got something for you. And I was like, okay, I got something for you. And he said, like, okay, well, you know, we'll see each other at work. We get to work, we go through our lineup, we get in the car, and we start riding, and I go, yo, pull over, let me, let me show you what I got for you. He's like, okay, I'll get what I got. And ironically, there was somebody somewhere, and I believe they still exist, baked what they call the black and white cookie. One side was brown, one side was white, and we each had that for each other. So this, this is like, this is us. We're, we're going to be tight for the rest of our lives. This is me and you, black and white. This is what we're going to do.
0: Like Larry and Mike, Jimmy also worked his way up the ranks. By July 5th, 2016, Jimmy Devol was a detective lieutenant. And that night, the night when things went so wrong, changed his career and the future of Maplewood PD. Within days, Chief Semino was suspended and Jimmy Duvall became the acting police chief. He had a plan, and Larry was one of the first people he called.
4: (laughs) He said, Larry, guess what? I was like, I heard, I heard. You're the acting chief of the Maplewood Police Department. And his comment to me was, what did I tell you day one? I said, yeah, day one you told me. Jim, you will run the Maplewood Police Department.
0: Jimmy immediately got to work. His first task? reforming the department and picking the right officers. But this wasn't a job for Jimmy to do alone. He had the help of a local politician, Frank McGeehee.
5: First and foremost, they fit the personality or the attributes of the town. The change that started really that night has definitely bear fruit.
0: Frank is an African-American man from Hyde Park in Chicago. And at the time, he was on the Maplewood Township Committee. That's the committee that runs the town. As an elected official, Frank worked closely with Jimmy to get different types of people into the police force. People who genuinely want to work with people.
5: In the process of promoting and hiring, the town has made great changes to make sure that incidents like uh, what happened in 2016 aren't
2: repeated in our town.
0: Local attorney Robert Tarver works with Jimmy too.
2: We talked about the problems in Maplewood. He was not willing to tolerate those types of actions. And so at one point, you did see a real change in how people were treated.
0: Jimmy had a background in internal affairs. That came in really handy. It was valuable.
2: So he was the one that looked over police when they did wrong. So he was already coming from a perspective of knowing that there are incidents that happen with police, knowing that there are times when police officers go beyond the bounds of where they should go, and wanting to correct it.
0: So progress was being made. But remember, Jimmy was just acting chief. Samino was only suspended. There was a good chance he'd return. But then something happened. That tape, the one of the beatings? It got out, and it set Maplewood alight. So someone leaked this video. Yeah. And this video was. Um, and I'm
2: not going to say I'm not going to say who the person was.
0: We can't say who was responsible for the leak. In the end, Semino took early retirement, and at the time, the township of Maplewood issued a statement stating that no formal disciplinary actions were sustained against him during his time as chief. With Sumino gone, Maplewood PD's chief of police was sworn in, Jimmy Duvall, no longer acting, but permanent. He'd finally got the top job. Right at the beginning of our project, back in January last year, we actually spoke to Jimmy. Mike Morrison put us in touch with him. We were surprised that an active police chief was willing to talk to us, but he was really open to the point Firm, but candid. He was frank about what happened that night, about Semino's decision-making and the culture that he believed had festered under him. We were even planning to formally interview him for the podcast. But late last year, that all changed. On October 22nd, 2022, I received a WhatsApp message from Mike Morrison. Chief Jimmy Duvall had a heart attack and died. For Larry, it was devastating.
4: It did have an effect on me. It still has an effect on me. Even with this interview, you know, I can sit here and think of silly things we did, said to one another. Um, just just stuff like that. So truly the impact, a uh, very big impact.
0: The death of Jimmy Duvall hit Maplewood hard. Jimmy grew up in Maplewood. He even went to Columbia High School. He was part of the town, and the town was part of him. Obituaries praise his work in law enforcement and of how he challenged the old guard. It seems like the entire town came out to pay their respects to Jimmy and his family. There were motorcycles, horses, police chiefs, police officers, and members of the community who showed up. The final tribute was a helicopter flyover. With Jimmy gone, Maplewood once again found itself in need of a new chief. Q. Albert Sally. Albert Sally has been in leadership for a while. He was DeVol's deputy. And his new deputy is rare, a woman in police leadership. Now, here's the reveal. This all happened during the making of the show. Maplewood Police Department, which seems to have had such a problem with race, is now led by two Black officers. The boss is Chief Albert Sally, and his deputy, Deputy Chief Naima Malloy, two Black officers that Mike Morrison nurtured and guided throughout their careers. This is huge. It's a massive achievement for those officers. Their appointments have been celebrated in local media as a historic watershed moment for Maplewood. But just as the celebrations were wearing off, the news of another incident of police brutality brought into focus the role of black police officers like never before.
5: Tyree Nichols died following a traffic stop savagely beaten by officers, an incident caught on camera.
6: Unlike what happened to George Floyd in Minnesota, the five former officers in this case were all Black.
0: Tyree Nichols was arrested on January 7th, 2023, and died in hospital three days later. Five Black officers were involved. Four denied the charges against them. The fifth accepted a plea agreement in late 2023. But what really stood out to me was the name of their unit, scorpion which all five of the officers belong to the sinister bite and sting of the name is intentionally threatening the unit was formed in november 2021 and get this it stands for street crimes operation to restore peace in our neighborhoods ironic i know
6: memphis's police chief has decided to disband the department's so-called scorpion unit which was designed to crack down on street crime
2: There have been scattered reports of abuses by the Scorpion unit, and then nationally, you know, some of these quick swarm suppression specialty units sometimes can lead to uh, over-aggressive tactics.
0: Tyree's death changed our thinking behind this podcast midway through production. When the news of his story broke, we got back in touch with our four police officers. We asked them to do one final round of interviews to reflect on what's going on. I mean, how could we not? Mike Morrison, Larry, and Tina all agreed to it and spoke on the record. First up, Tina. Disappointed,
6: shocked. I was shocked at the behavior and then double shocked that there were Black officers,
0: young Black officers, that this was multifaceted. So young and so lacking in empathy, Larry Washington
4: I was absolutely floored when I learned that they were all black. I was completely stunned by it. I just didn't think that we had black officers that would go to that extreme.
6: Young officers, black officers with a young black male. So I say that to say you would think that that could have been them any day. That could have been their children, their cousins, But
0: Mike Morrison had a very different reaction.
3: I was not surprised, in the least, that the five officers were Black. Not in the least.
0: And his reason goes back to what he's always known from day one. Remember how we called policing the biggest gang in America? Well.
3: It had nothing to do with color. It had to do with culture.
0: For Mike Morrison, what happened to Tyree is proof of what he sensed very early on in his career. But still, there's something about the situation that a lot of people, a lot of Black people especially, have noticed. There's an argument that the treatment of Black officers who abuse power is different to their white peers. Because even though it was Black officers who killed Tyree, there were others involved too.
3: I watched the guy tasing Nichols, and that was a white hand. I was like, where is he at? So as a regular guy watching TV, I knew that guy was just as responsible as everyone else. The guy
0: who was tasing was white. The officer Mike is referring to was involved in that first initial traffic stop with Tyree. But after the news of his death broke, unlike his colleagues in the Scorpion unit, He wasn't publicly named at first. His identity was protected for weeks. And instead of being fired immediately, like the others, he was placed on desk duty before being fired a month later. Back to Tina. I don't
6: want it to sound like it's better if it was white or black. The whole thing is heinous, just wearing the badge. Because that is not what this is about.
0: It wasn't just the Blackness of the officers that made this case in Memphis stand out. It was the Blackness and leadership, too. In fact, at the time, Black officers made up 58% of Memphis PD. And their chief of police was a Black woman, the first Black woman to hold that position. Chief C.J. Davis has been given credit for her handling of the fallout from Tyree Nichols' death. But she's also been strongly criticised, as I record this, Chief Davis is still in post, but local politicians are deciding her future. Frank McGehee believes that she has to take responsibility.
5: That police chief had to publicly, professionally address that issue, but also personally. She had to take that home with her. Because those police officers, regardless if they were Black and white, were an extension of her and her leadership. But by them being Black and Black men, they were absolutely not only an extension of leadership, but a reflection of her.
0: Mike
3: Morrison agrees. The swiftness with she arrested these guys and they came down these guys, I definitely applaud. But as me, as a former law enforcement officer, I just personally believe that these guys' behavior was not unknown, that it was no surprise.
4: I remember sitting in front of the TV waiting for them to play the video of the entire incident and the things i saw it just spoke to me like okay this is something these guys were accustomed to doing
3: i just believe that these bad guys you know it was known what these bad guys was doing and i believe that's what's coming out through these different investigations that their behavior was not uncommon and not unknown throughout the city in the police department
4: somebody had to know something somebody had to know that these guys are out here doing this thing and and feeling very comfortable doing it. And it had been going on for quite some time. I don't even know if something like that can be shielded from her.
6: I pray that people understand that there's bad apples in all shapes, colors, sizes, ethnicities, and we learn to just, we have to do better.
0: But honestly, this isn't just about bad guys, is it? Like Mike Morrison said, this isn't about color. It's about culture. The culture of policing.
2: The one thing you don't want to see is police officers as an occupying force. Robert Tava. It's not Afghanistan. It's not the United States Marine Corps in Afghanistan. And that's pretty much how it's viewed when you get officers who just come in and believe it's their job to clean up these people. Uh, There's no connection. There's no... Indication that they see Black people as human beings. And that's what you have to combat on a daily basis.
0: And clearly, this lack of connection, this dehumanization, is exactly what's going on here. Just look at the death of Tyree Nichols. These forces out
3: there that are abusing their power and getting all these complaints from them, they have to be disbanded. They have to be disbanded. There's a way to aggressively patrol a neighborhood without abusing power and abusing
0: people. But how do you do that? How do you aggressively patrol a neighborhood without abusing power and abusing people? Why does aggression need to play a part at all? Because when you have power, you also need to be answerable.
1: The first thing I'm going to tell you is police don't like being held accountable. And... When they're forced to be accountable for their actions, they object to it. Mike Sapp. The police have operated at will for decades. What they want to do, when they want to do it, the way they want to do it. And when, when things have declined to the point where they are now in society, with police and public relations, and all these mandates are being put out, it was funny to me, yet sad, Every time a mandate got put out, as far as what you will or will not do, now all of a sudden the job sucks. We hate this job. We can't wait to retire, blah, 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 blah. Oh, why? Because you, you're being mandated to be accountable for your actions now? Now the job sucks? You signed up to be a police officer or, and you should be a community liaison or ambassador and help people. But now that you can't pull up and talk to people any kind of way and grab them and slam them around and and mistreat them, now, now there's a problem.
0: While Tina, Mike Morrison, and Larry Washington were happy to speak to us about Tyree Nichols, Mike Sapp was different. For Mike Sapp, what those Black officers did to that Black man, well, it's met with despair. When we reached out for his thoughts, he replied via email. He didn't want to talk about it on the record, but he was happy for us to quote him. He said, At this point, I'm not interested in weighing in on the tragedy of Tyree Nichols. I feel exhausted and drained. It seems absolutely hopeless. It leaves me in a dark place. Sounds bleak. Time to look for some hope, some solutions, perspective. That's next. To understand the present, look at the past. Let's get some perspective. Between them, our four officers have clocked more than 100 years of police work. They're what many would consider veterans. Their careers span from the 1980s to now. They work through Rodney King, Black Lives Matter marches, and Tyree Nichols. Let's start with Mike Morrison, who grew up in Newark. He went into policing to escape poverty. He started out in transit in the 1980s. Remember Boba, the police captain who, according to Mike, challenged him to fight out by the dumpster? And there was also Mike's darkest hour, the cafeteria incident, where he was accused of police brutality and Black parents turned against him. But after all that, the fight to challenge police culture is still his every day.
3: I have toured in Florida, Illinois, North Carolina.
0: He travels the country leading courses for police officers. He's an independent contractor these days. The courses are about policing with consent. That means policing in a way that enjoys wide public support. This method of policing was pioneered by the British politician Robert Peel nearly 200 years ago. But don't think that means that all is well and good in the UK today. Far from it. A recent independent review was damning about the culture within London's metropolitan police. Among many other things, it was found to be institutionally racist. That was the term first used 24 years ago. 24 years. And not a lot has changed. In his workshops, Mike Morrison doesn't just look at the roots of British policing. He also looks at the roots of US policing too. He confronts the uncomfortable history of how Black people in America have been policed since the beginning.
3: You can't talk about the history of policing without addressing slave patrols and how slave patrols transferred into our early forms of
0: policing and police department. The earliest formal slave patrols started in the Carolinas in the early 1700s, and they had one mission to quash slave uprisings through pursuing and returning runaway slaves to their owners. They were known to use excessive force to control and to terrorize.
3: And juxtapose that with Robert Peel, in the same century, how he was into community policing was on the string opposite way of the way we were policing here in the States.
0: Mike talks a lot about Robert Peel, But he's also fascinated by another moment in policing history. And this piece of history shows just how entrenched corruption and brutality really is in U.S. policing.
3: Part of my presentation is something that happened in 1930 called the Wickersham Commission, which investigated lawlessness in law enforcement.
0: Now, there have been a number of reviews into policing in the U.S., but this one was different It said corruption and illegality in policing were everywhere, coast to coast. If you've ever wondered where the phrase the third degree comes from, look no further. The report uses the phrase to describe the violence and intimidation used by cops. And after this exhaustive
3: two-year study, the Wickersham Commission said that the law cannot change this problem, that it is a community
0: issue. When you look at the victims of the third degree, the ones who faced the harshest cases of corruption and brutality, guess who comes out worst? Yep, African-Americans. Or as they were called back then, Negroes. Now, it's not really surprising, but this 100-year-old record is still chilling. Here we are, going around the same block again. But Mike Morrison is an eternal optimist. He still believes deaths like Tyree Nichols can be catalysts for change.
3: All these instances now uh, that are happening, I feel change is coming. And I think this last one, which was worse than Rodney King in 94, this is worse than Rodney King. I think this case is going to be the one to catapult the change in this country.
0: Mike looks at what he considers to be the change. Chief Albert Sally and Deputy Chief Naima Malloy, the two Black cops now at the top of Maplewood PD. He watches them take charge and has witnessed the change they're making in the town. So back to that key point. Does it matter if you're Black or white? For Mike Sapp, it's less about the race of the officer and more about the type of person that officer is.
1: I think... The psychological profile for a police officer candidate needs to be retailored. If you don't have a compassionate, community caretaking type personality, you don't belong on the job, period, at all.
0: He and Mike Morrison happen to agree on this.
1: Before you resort to deadly force, before you resort to physical force, they want you to take a step back breathe and calm down and talk to the individual and bring them down a few notches versus the old way was everybody comes in yelling and screaming. And it just gets progressively worse really fast and it ends horribly.
0: It sounds like what police forces need are more people like Tina. Placing
6: someone under arrest should be just that. There have been times I've stopped someone, young kids, and you know how they are with the... Well, let me Google this. You know, that internet is something different and what you can and cannot do. And I get it. And sometimes I would give them the time. Yeah, look
0: it up. Look it up. So you know that you're still coming with me, you know? And Mike Sapp is done with the old way of doing things. He wants to see a new type of police officer.
1: There has to be a constant effort of, listen, we're not here just to write tickets and handcuff people. We're problem solvers. We have resources. There's ways that we can help people. Let's apply those techniques and go down those avenues.
0: So everyone has a take on what needs to change. And some people, like Mike Morrison, believe they see it happening in real time. Mike Morrison is so proud of how change has been made in Maplewood. But honestly, in practice, what has really changed? For all of Mike's work and good intentions, after all of the reforms, what is life really like on the ground? For our attorney, Robert Tarver, well, he's fielding calls from Black families in Maplewood. Things are depressingly familiar.
2: I'm constantly contacted by parents uh, whose children have just been walking, a group of black boys, three or four black boys, just walking down the street. They're stopped, they're harassed, they're questioned. uh, They are sometimes padded and searched.
0: Representing cases like this is what Robert Tarver says he deals with every day.
2: When you can have a group of white kids who are standing relatively near that same group of black kids that have not been approached, not been harassed, not searched or anything else like that.
0: So even though the department now has new leadership, Black leadership, it seems like it's still reeling from the events of its past. A lot of work still needs to be done. We reached out to Maplewood PD, but they didn't want to comment.
2: You don't remove years of skepticism overnight. I think Black community is still skeptical of the police. I think the relationships have gotten better. Uh, There are certain organizations that work to try to get the relationship to get better. But again, trust is something that's earned, and it's earned over a period of time.
0: He's right. There's a pattern with these incidents of police brutality. They're a little local difficulty. They're atypical, specific. Then elsewhere, there's a sense of, well, it would never happen here. But for Robert Tarver, it's all pretty straightforward.
2: There is an interconnectedness that flows through all of these incidents that we've talked about today. The connective nature is systemic racism.
0: And that's what Robert Tarver is constantly fighting against. He recently won a landmark case against the state, which forced Maplewood to acknowledge long-standing racial bias in the educational system, and particularly its crown jewel. Columbia High School. It was holding Black kids back.
2: All of these things are insidiously connected. And until we recognize that, we're going to keep reliving the past over and over again. These incidents are going to keep happening.
0: Robert Tava and Mike Morrison are both on a mission. But Mike's retired, and still, he feels he just can't give up.
3: Is is really who I am. It's not what I do. It's is who I am.
0: Mike Morrison met Mike Sapp literally weighing in on their first day at transit, standing on the scales. But decades later, they have very different perspectives. When Mike Sapp looks at the future of policing, he's blunt.
1: It's a long, hard, dark road, and it it's gonna take a lot to turn this current mindset around between the public and the police. You know, this is not an easy overnight fix at all. There's going to have to be a lot of rebuilding to come for years.
0: And as for the Black officers realizing their ambitions for what policing can give them, Mike Sapp believes quotas don't cut it and never really have. The intention to recruit is there, but the intention to empower is far behind.
1: It's sad that, you know, a lot of these police administrations, depending on the agency, they won't allow a minority officer to break a glass ceiling. And if you do, it's only to a certain point.
0: In between the two mics is Larry Washington. He's happy to be an ex cop. He avoids socializing with his former colleagues and rarely sets foot in Maplewood. But he still believes in the power of service.
4: I remain hopeful. Um, (laughs) I just think of, well, look where I came from and look at policing now and as to when I walked in the door as a police officer. Black chiefs are almost unheard of. So, yeah, I'm that that guy that's going to always believe that change can come. Um, You can get things done. It just takes a long, long, long time.
0: Listening to Larry, I can't help but think of him cowering in that bathtub during the Newark Rebellion back in the 60s. And remember the fathers, that parallel police force who patrolled the projects where he lived? Now, as he sits by his swimming pool at home, enjoying the early years of his police retirement, it's a long way away. And for Mike Morrison, the kid who grew up in the Weequahic section of Newark, it's clear that being a cop, being a Black cop, has defined and shaped his identity in a way that is now indivisible.
3: All these things over the years that I've been doing, whether it's mentoring and starting programs, is, is really who I am. It's not what I do, it's, it's who I am. And me teaching these classes is, is my life on paper. So I'm really blessed to be a poor kid from Newark, single mom, raising five of us. I think I did pretty good as far as statistics are concerned you know, as far as, like, where I was supposed to end up at. I would do it all over again if
0: I end up like I am now. I made the show because I wanted to hear from a group of people who everyone has an opinion about, but who are never asked theirs. That's been a big lesson for me. Over the hours I've spent with our four officers, I felt that... In a way, this was the first time anyone had asked them to reflect on how they feel about themselves and the job that has so heavily defined them. You can see the toll it's taken on them being on the front line of one of America's most contentious conflicts. They know that Rodney King, Eric Garner, George Floyd, Tyree Nichols are just the tip of the iceberg. They know these names represent not some anomaly in police behavior, but more like the norm. They know because they have lived it day in, day out. The Washington Post database shows that, on average, police in the US shoot and kill more than 1,000 people every year. And it's not going down. In their own ways, the officers all seem relieved that they no longer have to face this reality from the trenches. There's a saying, once a cop, always a cop that you never really leave. Is that how they feel as Black police officers? Or now they're not blue? Can they just be recognised as Black?
4: I was born a Black man before I was a Black police officer. I'm just a Black man that was formerly a police officer.
0: And as for me, the Black journalist who wanted answers at the start of this series, well, I've gained some clarity. In this day and age, it truly takes a type of person who wants to serve and protect to be part of a system that is so outdated and broken. Maybe, just maybe, there's a prospect of change if we get the right people into policing. But how does that happen? If policing is the biggest gang in America, like Mike Morrison says, how do you break up the gang? Gangs are loyal. Gangs look after their own. And gangs will fight to the death. You've been listening to Black and Blue, a Blanchard House production for Curious Cast. Black and Blue is hosted, written, and produced by me, Saren Jones, script consultant, Soraya Shockley. The sound recordist is Vulcan Kizaltuk. Original music is by Daniel Lloyd Evans, Louis Nankmanel, and Toby Matamong. Sound design and mix engineering is by Toby Matamong. Voice coaching by Vicky Merrick. The managing producer is Amika Shortino Nolan. The creative director of Blanchard House is Rosie Pye. The head of content at Blanchard House is Lawrence Grizel. The executive producers are Charlie Bell and Lawrence Griselle. For Curious Cast, the executive producers are Dile Velasquez and Chris Duncombe.